Israel is a land of diverse cultures, religions, foods, music and people. Join Benji Shulman for the next hour as he explores the devout and divine, the off the wall and outrageous and everything in between. Right here on 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the New Blue Review. Welcome to the program. I hope you're having a great 1st of February Monday. Well, it's the 3rd of February, but it's the 1st Monday of February and uh, that you are getting into the swing of things. Hope that the load shedding hasn't been getting in your way too much uh, and that you are ready for a new week. Well, I'm happy to say we have a fantastic show uh, coming up for you today. We are going to be speaking to Rod. Roger Ballin. Roger Ballin is one of the most prolific uh, photographers uh, of uh, the 20th century uh, and, and still around for the 21st, so that's good as well. And uh, he's going to be talking to us about his work uh, uh, covering South Africa, uh, his exhibits around the world, uh, and as well as his work uh, in uh, different kinds of media, including video, uh, his work with the Unfoot, uh, as well as his new center, which is being set up uh, at the moment uh, just up near the Holocaust Center. So that is going to be Absolutely fascinating. I'm really looking forward to it as a uh, former yearbook photographer for school. You know, this is something that is uh, super interesting for me. Uh, by the way, if you want to be part of the conversation, you can telegram us on 0618951019 or you can SMS us on 34519. We're certainly looking forward to any questions or comments that you might have. But we're going to take a short break and when we come back, we'll be speaking to Rob. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 High FM. Roger Ballin, thank you so much for joining us on the show. A great pleasure to be here. Uh, so when we were first uh, discussing an, an interview and, and organizing it, I was very excited uh, that I'd have the opportunity to uh, interview a photographer, someone who's had a huge impact. Uh, and I thought... Uh, as a South African photographer, and then I realized that actually uh, you are a South African photographer, but also not quite. Uh, you're originally from America, so how did we end up with you? <laughs> well, I've been here 38 years now. <laughs> I first came here um, in 1974. I hitchhiked from Cairo to Cape Town. I actually uh, landed in Tel Aviv uh, January 1st, 1974, right after the war. Wow. And then uh, I spent some time there. Then I took a boat to Cyprus. And then from Cyprus, I took another boat to Alexandra. And then I made a trip by land all the way to Cape Town. And so I spent some time here in um, South Africa in the mid-70s. And then I made a long trip from Istanbul to New Guinea by land. Ended up back in America and then did a Ph.D. in geology and um, decided uh, that it would be interesting to come back here for I guess a few reasons, uh, most notably my wife, Linda Moross. I married her in 1980 in Johannesburg. I met her during the uh, first part of my uh, trip. And also uh, my profession, uh, this was a, a very ideal uh, place at the time to, to work in, in geological exploration, and I enjoyed my uh, uh, time here in the mid-'70s. Okay, so uh, that's that's quite a quite a journey uh, and and a very interesting one. Uh, before I get on to some of your your sort of work and your more famous photography, I, I read a piece in the New York Times about the fact that you went to Woodstock, which by itself is very cool. Uh, but you actually were already taking pictures at the time. Uh, what was it like to to be there? And were you aware that you were at the time taking pictures of something that would become so momentous in in the cultural history of of the world? 
Well, it's always uh, interesting. I think the thing that made it Woodstock uh, so special was all the things that happened later weren't predictable when it happened. So you were engaged in the concert, engaged in the, in the activities, but uh, you really weren't uh, aware that uh, they were going to make a movie, that people were interested in what happened there. So, uh, you know, there was ups and downs of being there. It was raining all the time. Uh, it was hard to get food. It was hard to find your car. It was full of traffic, full of people. Uh, the, the sound went on and off. So, you know, uh, being there was, it was, there was an act of, uh, romanticism being there with all the people and being part of the counterculture during that time. But, you know, there was also times when it was a bit, uh, hard or complicated or irritating or <laughs> whatever you might, uh, want to say. So the, my emotions at the time were, were, were mixed from the best of my memory. So at what point did you then develop the film and realize that you might have something that, that was really interesting? Well, this is an interesting story in itself. So, you know, I've taken tens and tens of thousands of pictures. And so, you know, this was 1969. I was 19 years old. It was really a hobby. I wasn't engaged in selling or showing photography. So I took uh, three roles there. And there was one picture which I sort of liked uh, I liked them uh, some more, but I I blew up one picture with some people uh, swimming in the nude, uh, so it was sort of a cool picture that, to show my friends, and and uh, that's what I did. So this went on for another fifty years. I didn't actually look at those contact sheets for another fifty years. <laughs> so uh, f- for some reason or some chance, uh, the person at the New York Times saw that one picture of mine on the net. I don't know whether she's looking for my name or whether how it came up. I'm not quite uh, clear, but it was in my Balinès book. Anyway, she uh, saw this picture. She actually knew me from the New Yorker magazine because I had done a few things for them. And then she called me up and said, uh, well, Roger, uh, it's amazing you're at Woodstock. Um, Do you have any pictures? I said, well, I'm not really sure. I'll have to take a look. I don't think so. But see, I but there's one thing about the way I've organized my photographs there. Quite, I've organized them quite meticulously, so I immediately knew where the contact sheets were. So I went to look at the contact sheets, and I was really amazed. I was really amazed. Out of the, say, three rolls, I saw all sorts of other pictures there, which I never saw before. I didn't take into consideration. So I went XXX, and I sent her the contact sheets, and she said, Wow, these are amazing. This is really cool. Um, we'd be really happy to do a feature on your Woodstock. So this is how it happened. So this is like finding a, a treasure uh, underneath your bed. You know, after 50 years, you, you didn't realize there were gold and diamonds and money underneath the bed. So from the age of 19, you were already systematic and organized about the way that you that you that you kept your photographs. Well, not only systematic. See, my mother worked in Magnum, which was the most important photo agency in the world, with the most important photographers in the world, and in their Late 60s, she started one of the first photo galleries in America. So by the time I was 19, I implicitly understood so-called art photography, whatever that meant at the time. I was ready to go to take pictures that had a lasting merit by the time I was 17 or 18. So during Woodstock, I was 19. But by age 19, I was capable of taking pictures that had a lasting effect on people. So it wasn't just all of a sudden, oh, I'm just going to take some pictures today. Here I go. I was serious. I was focused on taking pictures. Now, what was quite interesting, um, I'd like to make this comment. 
when you look at my Woodstock pictures or anybody else's, you look at the crowds, there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of people there, mm-hmm. and you don't see anybody taking any pictures. Right. There's nobody there hardly with a camera because to take a picture in those days, you actually had to know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like now. If you went there and took, if you took the same picture now, you'd see every other person, maybe more than every other person, holding a phone and taking pictures. They wouldn't even be listening to or seeing what's going on. They'd be focused on the phone. Right. So the experience of being there is then it was quite different than it is would be now. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine it, it was quite a quite a different experience. By way of introduction for people who who not really you may not be completely familiar with your work, uh, you 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 like to take uh, pictures that are uh, almost psychological, have psychological themes, engage with people's internal worlds, uh, and and certainly some of your later stuff is quite abstract. And I was quite struck by the fact that you mentioned you're a geologist because you know, geology is, you know, it's kind of scientific. The rock is there or it's not there. Uh, and, and I'm quite interested in, in the kind of photography you, you produce versus what you, what you studied for and, and certainly worked in for, for a long time. Is, is there a connection between the two? Well, look, uh, the connection is metaphoric, uh, poetic. You know, geology is mostly a science, but when you look at the earth, think of the earth, you look at rocks, they're layered, you look at it, faults, you look at intrusions, you try to f- understand the primal element of, of the planet. So if your mind, your brain comes into contact with these metaphoric concepts, uh, one can try to apply them in some way to the, uh, to the two-dimensional photographic image. It's not a direct relationship. And I can, honestly say it's hard to say well what's influenced me more than other things you know it may have been the geology it may have been the trip here it may have been my mother it may have been my genes i really can't say Mm -hmm. so uh, your experience in life is so complicated and how you ultimately end up the way you are is is not so easy to put your finger on it uh, so, you know, geology, um, the metaphors that came out of working in geology perhaps had some relationship to the pictures. I, I always say uh, the most important thing uh, to think of when you're trying to say, well, what inspired you? You know, it's not necessarily um, the other, the other, other, the picture you saw here, another artist, another place. The thing that really has to inspire you more than anything else is your own pictures. You you learn from your own pictures. Your own pictures are your shadow, your fingerprint, and then you've got to look into these. And if you're inspired, they take you to a place that you haven't been before. You're thrilled by it. You're inspired by it. You feel something important about it. Uh, this is what you um, t- have to take into consideration to get to the next step. This is the key element. I mean, it's interesting for me that you that you say that you, when you talk about about inspiration, because you know you lived in South Africa more or less in some of its most tumultuous time uh, in its history, uh, and and South African photography, especially, uh, is is often what would you say documentary style, realist style uh, uh, photography, and and clearly there's an impact, or because you're taking pictures of South Africa in your work, but the sort of big themes of South African photography, freedom, cultural issues, national identity, in, in some respects your work seems to have passed those by. Is, is that because you're always looking for that, that inside and that, that, that inner aspect that you're talking about? Yeah, so uh, this is a very uh, a good point, and it's not only 
the history of South African photography and art, which has mostly been geared towards political, uh, social issues. It's, it's where contemporary art is at, at this, uh, uh, point in time. So, uh, you're absolutely right about that. Uh, you know, I've, uh, was never, um, didn't see photography as purpose for me as being one, uh, to necessarily tell me what I knew already. I always uh, tell people when I talk about art and politics, in a lot of cases, I say, well, you know, I can read or see the same thing in Time magazine that you're showing me now. That's not telling me anything. That's not taking me to any special place, which I believe is an important p- part of art, and this is my opinion. You know, it's it's there to take you to a special a place, a new zone. It's to uh, transform your mind. So... There was no point in taking political photographs for me because I understood the situation. It wasn't taking me to any special place. There are other people doing it and who were more passionate about it than I was. And so what was the point? Well, uh, what was the point indeed? Uh, we're, we're talking to Roger Ballin today, a photographer uh, at, uh, and doing a variety of, of interesting work. And we're going to be, uh, we're going to be coming back to him, but we'll talk, take a short break. We'll be back just after this. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman talking today to Roger Ballin, a prolific photographer covering uh, a range of, of, of different uh, topics that uh, that uh, are actually quite hard to describe over the radio. It's not uh, such a simple thing, uh, but definitely worthwhile going to have a look uh, at some of his stuff. By the way, if you want to ask any questions, you can telegram us on 061-895-1019 or you can SMS us on 34519 if you do have any uh, questions. Uh, Roger, some of your work, I think that audiences sometimes experience it as being uh, disquieting, uh, to say the least, and, uh, and, and it makes people think and, and connect. And, and you've said that, that these images are, are, are images that you feel connects people to their subconscious and their, their, their unconscious. Uh, is, is that for you also where the root of creativity comes from, or are you just trying to connect people uh, to where they're at underneath. Look, these are all very uh, complicated uh, uh, questions when one speaks about the mind. Mm-hmm. Where is the subconscious? Where is the conscious? So we use these terms very uh, glibly, and we don't actually understand what we're talking about. So the c- subconscious mind and the conscious mind could be in the same cell, brain cell, with other things. So yeah, there's a part of the mind the, w- the way uh, there's a part of the mind the way we experience. Life, the shadow, the part of the uh, being that's sort of hidden from us. Now, it can be hidden from us because that's the way the mind functions, or it can be hidden from us because we repress it. And I think, and I'm sure rather than I think, the reason that people say some of my pictures are disturbing is because uh, the images get into that part of the mind where the repression sits, and these pictures somehow or another push the repression out and people are scared of their own selves people are scared of the shadows people are scared of actually who they are what they're here for on this planet so the uh, images uh, push those questions out and people don't like those questions they'd rather be driving around in their new car filling their stomachs uh, thinking about their next trip to lay on the beach so these pictures don't take you to that place. They take you to a place that we're a little bit scared of. But if you forget about that place, if you repress that place, 
you're actually never fulfilled as a human being, in my opinion. Do you think that that people's inner worlds are sort of inherently dark, or is this, or, or, or as you say, sort of repressed, or is there space for sort of love and light and well, all no, those sort of things? All these questions are uh, totally uh, abstract. What is dark? What is light? Mm-hmm. What are we talking about? When the sun goes down and it's dark, is that bad? What do you mean by dark? Mm-hmm. So dark is 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 death any. Uh, worse than uh, life. It's a, it's a natural process. Everything on the planet deals with the same problem from a mosquito to a human being. Uh, if you look around in the bush, you see what animals are dealing with all the time. Survival, uh, having children, uh, staying, uh, trying to prevent something else from taking advantage of a territory. So, you know, uh, this issue of light and dark is also part of the repressive state we uh, live in because we can't deal with things that are we classify as negative. And the things that we classify as negatives are things we're inherently scared of, so we call them dark. Mm-hmm. It's because we're scared of it, but they're not intrinsically dark. They're part. Of, most of the things that we call dark are part of nature. Now, I'm interested in your photographic process itself. Your, your, your pictures are very... Composed, uh, you you set them up uh, to to look at a certain way, but but you've also said that you you can never completely just compose a picture. You need you need a moment where where you know it's going to work because something shifts in the image. How do you know that 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 is 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 the case that you you know that this is the time when you need to take the the picture because because that process is not uncommon to documentary photographers as well. They they're also trying to find the right moment uh, to to take the picture. Uh, look, in my uh, photographs, I commonly say they're like paintings. If you look at a painting, it could be literally thousands of brushstrokes. So in my photos, it could be literally thousands of decisions, yes, no, maybe. And ultimately, you're trying to create a coherent uh, core, a coherent format, a coherent uh, meaning. Uh, so uh, as you put the picture together, the meaning becomes more and more coherent. And in photography... Uh, there's something about the concept of the moment that helps make the picture uh, coherent. I mean, in a, in a, I think um, if one tries to differentiate photography from other art forms, the, the most uh, important differentiation is that photography does deal with the moment. It's the most important aspect of photography, capturing that something we want to call the decisive moment, the authentic moment, when when something of when a moment of truth, so-called moment of truth, occurs that links uh, uh, everything in the in the picture and takes it, elevates it to an, uh, another level. It doesn't mean the other level is more uh, is the most profound level that one can achieve, but it it helps take the picture to a point where the viewer actually believes in the work. I want to ask you about one of your one of your projects, something called Asylum of the Birds. Uh, which you you took in Johannesburg, uh, and, and I mean maybe maybe just describe it for people uh, the actual place where you did the the, the photograph and how long you you, stu- you 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 spent sort of working on on this project. Yeah, well, I spent about five and a half years in a place called the Asylum of the Birds. It was a pe- place where people, animals, particularly uh, birds, lived together, and the owner of the building. Uh, didn't like the idea that the birds would be caged, so he 
let the birds fly around the house wherever they wanted to go. And you can actually see this place in the video. There's a video you can find on my website. It's called Asylum of the Birds plus the book Asylum of the Birds. And so uh, these uh, pictures that I took over five and a half years in this place, I, I almost didn't go to any other place for this period of time, uh, five, six days a week, uh, integrated birds, uh, people, not so many portraits, um, other animals, uh, drawings, um, uh, sculptural-like objects, and try to integrate them into a photograph to create uh, complex uh, meanings. If you look at my work, and you sort of mentioned this uh, earlier, uh, my forms are very simple. They're clear and precise, but the meanings are complex. And so for me, that's a crucial aspect of good art, simple forms, clarity in the work, complex meanings. That's what nature is about. Look at anything in nature. Everything in nature is the formally is very clear and perfect in some ways. But when one tries to understand it, one gets lost in complexity. And and yet the 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 artist also kind of con- connected uh, throughout. You know, you, it looks very different your, your later work, which is more uh, abstract. But for example, in, in Asylum of the Birds, you're also dealing with people who are in the outskirts of of Johannesburg. It's not a wealthy area. I mean, it, it's unusual for people to have birds flying around in their house, which also links to your earlier works around, uh, you know, photographing. Uh, Poorer Afrikaans communities in, in different towns that you're in. So, so that that is a theme that that ru- does run through your work. That that uh, sort of theme of the outsider. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. You know, I have a show in Paris in a place called Hall Saint Pierre. It's called The World According to Roger Ballin. It's there until the 31st of July. But if you go to this show, you'll see a movie I did in 1972 in Berkeley, California. It's called Ill Wind. And it's about a Beckett-like character, a marginalized character going from place to place. So uh, my relationship to people on the edge, communities on the edge, uh, goes back to my late teens, I think. It's hard to know exactly why. You can delve in your mind and try to figure out why, but usually come up with a sort of a blank, which I do. You're just attracted to this level of the world, this aspect of the world, this aspect of the psyche, or, or you're not. And so I've been drawn to it, not repelled to it. So when people, um, even in during the Platon period, because uh, you mentioned the issue of uh, whether I was a political photographer or not, and people said, well, Mr. Ballin, uh, what inspired you? Who was, who was your inspiration? Was it this one or that one? I said, no, it was uh, Beckett. And... and um, People from the uh, theater, people uh, like uh, Beckett and Pinter, who, UNESCO, who was sort of dealing with the a certain aspect of the human condition, human absurdity. So uh, my uh, relationship to this aspect of humanity um, goes back a long way. And I think the reason, one of the reasons these pictures appeal so much to people's subconscious mind is people actually feel in th- the same as some of the people uh, that are portrayed in this work. How did you even find this this asylum? Well, <laughs> Where did you well, dig it up from? No, well, the, before that, there was another uh, book, two books before, between 2001 and 2005. It was called Shadow Chamber. Shadow Chamber was taken in another place. And during the time I was working in the Shadow Chamber uh, building, um, some man had just uh, told some man living there had lived in the Asylum of the Birds 
uh, place. And he said, well, there was, he told me about this place and it's really, uh, attacked uh, my uh, mind. I said, Jesus, this must be amazing. He says, can you please, please, please take me here? So he was kind enough to take me there. And over the years, uh, for about five, well, maybe seven, eight years, I went back and forth to this place, getting to know the people, getting to know the owner. So, you know, I, I, um, I just didn't run in there with a camera and start snapping pictures. By the time I started working in this place in about 2009 or so, I'd gotten to know the owner, the family, the other people who were living there for some time. They trusted me. They liked me. And uh, they couldn't wait uh, for me to come back all the time. So, you know, it wasn't just rushing in, taking pictures and rushing out. You know, every day I must hear from 25 different people that I've known over the years. When are you coming? Where are you, Uncle Roger? Please come. I need you. I want you. I want to see you. I want to tell you about my baby, blah, 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 blah. This goes on every day. So I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I'm a social worker. I'm a rabbi, a minister. <laughs> I'm everything to a lot of people. I imagine that that must be uh, quite important for your, specifically for your kind of photography. I mean, if if you're trying to set stuff up in a in in a space, you you have to be comfortable with the people that you're dealing with uh, at some level. Well, yeah, there has to be a two-way street. So anybody who says I just went in there and took pictures doesn't have a clue what the process is about. You have to get, you know, it's about knowing the people, getting the trust, uh, going back and back and back. But I've always said, which is an important point, you know, you can listen to people's talk for ages and ages and ages, but it doesn't help your picture. I, I, I've always said a camera does not have ears. Mm-hmm. So you can write a book about a subject. You could be able to write 10 books about a subject, and you still may never be able to take a good picture with that subject. So it's more than just talking to them and hearing their stories and helping them. You have to think visually. And what about the birds? I mean, you 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 do take pictures of birds, not just in the asylum, in in, in other places as, as well. Uh, what is it about these birds in particular that that was so interesting for you? Because they're not trapped; cause they're they're flying around in the house, but at the same time, they're not free birds. Uh, at the same time, is is that something that was of interest? Look, even in the Bible, uh, birds uh, are archetypally a heavenly creature. They they link the heavens with the earth. That's what birds represent to the subconscious mind. And uh, these uh, birds uh, live in a place of confusion, of chaos, of turmoil, of of conflict in some way or another. And the contrast between a heavenly creature in a place dominated by human turmoil and human angst uh, created all sorts of um, metaphors. The relationship of the birds to the people in this project is not... Uh, empathetic. There's there's no empathy between the animals and the people and the people and the animals. <laughs> but as human beings, if we think actually that we have that we have a good relationship with birds or anything else other than our cats and dogs, we're delusional. We're actually delusional. So we 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 think uh, that animals uh, are part of us and we're part of animals. That's uh, a total lie if there ever was one. 
Now, now moving off of specific projects, uh, you, you know, you've kind of branched out over the years. You, you've, you've done video, you've done music, which we'll talk about in a bit. And I'm, I'm quite interested in what your view is of the impact of new technologies on photography. I mean, you kind of talked about it with Woodstock and, and you make use of it yourself. I mean, you're on YouTube, you're on Instagram, but it would seem to me that particularly something like Instagram is deeply opposed to, to your aesthetic and way of seeing the world. It's sanitized. It's far too happy. Is Instagram a good place for you to, to be uh, exhibiting the kind of work you do? No, this is a very uh, good question. You know, there's like a lot of things in life, there's pluses and negatives. The pluses is, uh, are that, you know, within, I can put a picture on Instagram and within a few hours, tens of thousands of people might see it. So, the message, the image gets into people's heads. They become aware of what I'm doing and maybe it leaves them with something. Maybe it, it doesn't. But if I didn't have Instagram and I didn't have internet, I remember when I first came here, I had to send slides to people. It took three weeks for them to get the slides, probably three weeks for them to send me a letter. So nearly two months went by before I even heard from them that they saw the slides. So immediately the work can be proliferate can, i can proliferate the work which is a good positive thing for me as a photographer living in S- south africa the negative side is the value of the image has been destroyed almost that that there's just too many images too much stuff no way of figuring out what's good or what's a bad so there's like a total overwhelming surplus of imagery that people have to deal with to cope with and to come to terms with which they can't so the sanctity of the singular image of the emerging photographer is really buried under too much stuff, and that's a problem. So how do you how do you feel that the best way is to get around that? Uh, you know, particularly because someone with uh, Adobe or something can do the work that maybe thirty or forty years ago would have taken, uh, you know, hours in a dark room and and and, and huge amounts of planning. See, I'm not too worried about that because it's really hard to get into the right zone. Mm-hmm. It's really, you know, if you think you can just sit at Adobe and create something that uh, keeps people's minds active for month after month that they remember that image, uh, you can't do it. It's, it's, it's like trying to win the lottery. <laughs> you just can't do it. It's not easy. It's really hard to get into that zone, and there's no formulation. So, in other words, it's not the technology; it's the, the if you if you need the mental space or the mental place to do it. It's all about the brain cells. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Speaking today to Roger Bellin, uh, photographer extraordinaire. We'll be back just after the break. This is the new Blue Review with Benji Schulman. You're back with 101.9 Hi FM. I'm Benji Shulman. This is the New Blue Review. And if you want to ask any questions to our guest, Roger Ballin, please do so. Telegram us on 061-895-1019 or you can SMS us on 34519. Now, Roger, lately you've kind of become more famous or, or, or indifferently famous for uh, working with South African band De Antwoord. Uh, and I'm interested in in... How it's almost, if you watch an Antwoord movie or, or video, it's almost like your pictures are moving. They're, they're coming alive. Was that difficult to create a video version of what you normally do in still life? Well, uh, I first heard from De Antwerp in 2005. They said when they'd seen my work, I think it was the Shadow Chamber book and the Outland book, they gave up everything they had done before and didn't do anything for a year and reinvented themselves as little Roger Balance. <laughs> so... 
they've they been in, inspired by my work in in many ways for for many years, and they took my work and added music to it and made a performance out of it. And just like I was talking about Instagram before, you know, like the music businesses. It's like comparing the oil business with the, I don't know, the lollipop business or something. <laughs> you know, it's a massive, massive business and the audience is massive. So if you do well in that business, you proliferate your message to millions and millions of people. So, uh, the artwork went uh, viral in 2006 or seven with a number of their music videos and, mm-hmm. uh, the music videos had a lot to do with my aesthetic. So uh, they were in a way, um, carriers of my imagery in in some ways in some ways their own imagery uh, their own work but uh, so this was an important um, part of, uh, important um, happening in my uh, career for I think uh, two reasons one as I mentioned my work got exposed to literally millions and millions of young people and secondly after the success of Freaky which has the, I think about 150 million hits now uh, I started understanding the power of videos and so after uh, I made uh, Freaky with them, every major project that I've been involved in, I've made a, a corresponding uh, video. And what's interesting for me is if you listen, if you speak to people overseas, often the Unfoot is one of those uh, bands that's made it overseas from South Africa. But they they work in Afrikaans very often or in some kind of other uh, other languages or slang. And so people don't know what they're talking about. And and yet they find watching the videos as entertaining and, and engaging in a similar way to the way that people would view the photographs. No, you're, you're absolutely uh, correct. I mean, I've always said about my own photographs that the best photographs are the ones that I have n- uh, no words for. And if, I've always also said if you can define the picture in words other than enigmatic, strange, mysterious, um, then it's probably a bad photograph. <laughs> So, and I mean this. Yeah. So the best photographs are ones that challenge my mind and I don't have words for them. And I can't actually come to terms with it verbally. M- makes doing a radio show quite difficult. Yeah, it makes it doing a, uh, you're right about that. <laughs> 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 you know, when you look at one of the pictures, you're just left with a big black hole. But it doesn't mean, uh, that it's not there. Right. And, and what about working with musicians? Because they're sort of famously, you know, sort of precious and, and difficult to work with. Uh, translating work across genres, even if it's from a book to a movie, often comes with compromises. Is that, that an issue that you've had working like this? No. No, I, I don't uh, work that way. So, you know, whenever I do anything, I just do it the way I have to do it. And if people want to... Uh, work with me in a commercial way they just have to ex- accept that fact you know they can say okay well you can please just photograph in this place or well, maybe that's okay but i don't uh do commercial photography i never did mm-hmm. and so uh, if somebody wants to work with me then they just have to uh, let the horse go out to the field <laughs> it's sometimes <laughs> quite literally because you actually when you're doing a project you just pick up random things at the side of the road and, and often in, 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 introduce them into the photography yeah, so I could start an art brute museum easily. I have so <laughs> many uh, objects of from of so many uh, uh, years, and uh, I always say in my next life uh, I won't be a photographer. I'll probably be two things: one, a social worker, and the second thing, like a horse. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> Carrying things. Carrying things. Place, you know. <laughs> I had to think about that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so talking about museums and art directors, you, you, you might, you, you try, you're trying to get there maybe before you get to a, a next life. Uh, because you're actually producing a, a museum at the moment. Uh, talk to us about that. What, what is the idea behind that project? You know, I've built a place called the Roger Ballin Center for Photographic Arts. It's 48 Jan Smuts Avenue. It's 10 meters up Jan Smuts Avenue from the Holocaust Museum in Forest Town. The building is up. You can actually see it from the road. Okay. Um, and I'll be moving in there probably in about three months' time, and uh, more or less in a year or so I... Hope to have the first uh, exhibition. So the purpose of the center, the purpose of the Roger Ballin Foundation is to expand people's inner mind through photography. And I hope the museum will focus on a f- few things. One is photography that is psychologically s- strong. Secondly, it should have something to do with Africa. Third, it has, should be appealing to the people of Johannesburg who live here. And uh, fourthly, it has to have something to do with my career one way or another, although I might have one picture out of a hundred in there that's mine, it should have something to do with, you know, my long career in art and photography. I'm interested in the placement given that you know, the, the those aspects that you're talking about for the museum. I mean, that part of, of Johannesburg by the Holocaust Center, you've got uh, Alliance Francaise and uh, it's, if, if there was going to be a cultural mile a la the Washington in, 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 in the US, it would be there. Uh, so, so was that a deliberate choice? Uh, wh- and, and wh- why there? Look, you know, I'm not, um, Mr. Oppenheimer, uh, somebody who can just wet, wave a wand and find the place that you want. <laughs> so it's just circumstance that this play, the property became available. I wasn't sure what I was going to do, where it was going to be. And you just had, and it had to have business rights, for example. So, you know, I didn't uh, necessarily uh, favor that over anything else. It was just circumstance that this place became available. I don't live far away. It's in a very a place that's very easy to find. And so for me, it was, uh, you know, I don't think I'm going to do any better in terms of all the variables. Obviously, in anything you do in life, is, as I said earlier, there's some pluses and minuses. But for me, there were, there were much more uh, positives about the place and I consider myself re- really lucky that the property became available. I haven't seen any other properties like it driving up Jan Smuts, you know, four or five times a, a day. I haven't seen anything else become available in a few years there. Mm, absolutely. What about the architecture of it? I mean, uh, have you built it in a way to reflect these themes? No, it's a very modernistic building in a way, but it's all made out of concrete. So in a lot of my photographs seem to be against concrete. And so... You know, it's not an old building, so you have to then transform it. So one of the goals, long-term, medium-term, when I move in is to start to make the building feel like a more Roger Balance space. But, you know, it's very, very, very difficult to create something new and make it feel worn. It's almost fake when you do it that way. Tearing jeans and whatnot. Yeah, you can't do it. You can't do it. It's like the mind. You can't beat nature. You can't beat aging. I mean... And you see that with so many people, they fill their skin full of Botox, but you can see the Botox, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so it's my goal is to transform the place into a Roger balance space through other people's work, through my work, and, you know, the create a, a artwork in that building. The building becomes an artwork as you walk in. The whole place is art. 
it's it's an artwork in itself. It's made up of artworks, and when you leave, uh, you feel that place and you remember that place. Talking today to Roger Ballin uh, about uh, his work and some of his upcoming projects. Uh, we'll be back just after the break. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 High FM. Uh, uh, this is the New Blue Review. I'm Benji Shulman speaking to Roger Ballin today uh, about his work. Uh, Roger, uh, I'm interested, uh, and we'll talk about you actually giving a, a talk at the, the Great Park uh, um, uh, Cultural uh, Center on the 19th. Uh, do you have... 19th of March. 19th of March. Oh, not 19th of February. Okay. Uh, are, are you... Are you engaged uh, with the Jewish community, with Israel? Because I've seen some of those pictures in your books and, and, and that sort of thing. Is that also part of what you take pictures of? Yeah, look, my uh, pictures uh, aren't necessarily focused on uh, one community or another community. They're ultimately uh, Roger Ballin pictures from Roger Ballin's mind, and they're not necessarily particularly any community. But I'm born Jewish, am Jewish, and... Uh, my family's Jewish, and know a lot of Jewish people, like a lot of Jewish people. So I don't, you know, uh, it's part of my heritage. You know, I'm Jewish. So that's that's part of uh, how you engage. In, in the books themselves, uh, you, you you besides uh, the Instagram and the videos, which are accessible, you can uh, also buy the books. What are the two that uh, people can have a look at? Well, we mentioned the Asylum of the Birds book, which was uh, now in paperback. Um, I'm sure you can get it uh, from bookstores or Sahara or uh, Amazon. They're all Thames and Hudson books, the last few books. So the the big Roger Ballin book is called Balliness, like my name, Roger Ballin, a retrospective, a Thames and Hudson book. It, it's a retrospective book going back from the mid-60s to 2016. I wrote the whole book except for a few pages, and it really is the Roger Ballin uh, Bible. Uh, following that, there's been an, a new book by Thames and Hudson and distributed by Jonathan Ball as well as uh, the Balliness book. Uh, it's called The World According to Roger Ballin, and this book for the first time uh, documents me making the drawings, documents me with some of the subjects. So it's partly documentary and, and for the first time, and it shows some of the objects and drawings I, I've been involved in and make, uh, over, made over the years. It also has 10 color pictures in it. And for the last three years, which is an important point, I've only done color pictures. So it's 50 years of black and white in my career. And the last three years have been only in color. I've only been in color. And, uh, and, and those are available in bookshops or? Uh... They should be available in bookshops. And if you, the bookshop doesn't have it, all they have to do is ask for Balinesque or the World According to Roger Ballin, Asylum of the Birds. And I'm sure the bookshop can find it uh, via uh, Jonathan Ball, who's the Thames and Hudson distributor. And, and of course, you've also got a website, uh, rogerballin.com. Uh, the website, or send, you can always send me a message via my website. I mean, just as a last question, uh, you know, you, you switched from black and white to, to color, uh, and you spoke a little bit about how you, you feel, particularly in South Africa, your work doesn't necessarily run with the zeitgeist. I mean, is, is, that, is that part of what you also try and do, be a little bit contrarian when you, when you work? No, I don't try to do anything. <laughs> I just do it. Right. And if, and if it appeals to me, it gives me a sense of thrill, a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning, takes me to another place, uh, then that's a good thing. And I'm always hopeful um, that it does the same with other people. You can't guarantee what other people feel, think, whatever. You can't. You don't know. And even if uh, they say this, and they may feel another thing. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so I'm quite confident, though, because I've had literally hundreds or thousands of shows in my life. I know my pictures get there. I know my pictures get there, and I know when people see them, they don't forget them. That's the nature of what I do. Well, there we go. It sounds like a good way to end off the show. Roger, thank you so much for thank joining you. us on Pleasure. the radio today. I really appreciate your time uh, and for, for coming in and talking to us about your work. Definitely go check out uh, the books, and you can uh, uh, go look at his website. Great Park on the 18th of March is going to be giving 19th a talk. 19th of March. Yep, 19th of March, sorry. 19th of March. 19th of March. Uh, you will be able to, uh, if you found this interesting, uh, come and ask him your own questions. Roger Bellin brings us to the end of the show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to Craig for pushing all the big red buttons, uh, for Mandy who helps the production and Vuzi who is on the sound. And, uh, next week is Tubishvat. So listen in. We are going to be talking to an Israeli herbologist. Uh, and, uh, so that should be uh, super interesting. My favorite show of the year. Chat to you then.